Ever notice that everything you ever thought would make you happy ever after didn't? Ooh, me too. It turns out Sean Cassidy was not my soulmate. Orgasms only last a few seconds and money does not buy happiness. Hi, I'm Dr. Cheryl Fraser and welcome to Sex, Love and Elephants, the weekly podcast where we explore relationships, mind and the meaning of life. A place where you are normal if you feel like something's missing, even though you have it all. Because guess what? Happiness is an inside job. How do I know? Well, if a Buddhist nun and a sex expert had a baby, I'm it. I'm a psychologist, sex therapist, and author. I've meditated for 12 hours a day for months at a time. I've studied Tantra in Tibet, and I've taught for people like Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and helped thousands of couples reignite passion. My mission with a loving heart is to kick your ass off the couch and into awakening. And here's the secret. If you want to cultivate wild love that lasts, compassion and curiosity, and the superpower of being happy for no reason, first, you've got to meet your elephant. So let's go. Well, hello, this is Cheryl, and I am very pleased to be bringing you what's going to be a two-part Sex, Love, and Elephants. I gave a talk yesterday to a small group of people on the theme of love like an elephant. So today I'm bringing you part one of that talk, and next week, part two of that talk. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you your love bite right off the top right now. Are you ready? I know that you are. Love the perfectly imperfect person standing right in front of you. Great love is all in your head. Being a great partner is completely up to you. All right, enjoy part one of this really deep and meaningful talk. If you can learn to love more like an elephant, so to speak, from a more awake place, you can become a much better partner and reap the rewards of having a much better relationship. So let's hop right in to part one. For the sake of all beings, may there be the cultivation of boundless love, love without attachment, love without self-referencing, love that renews itself. So welcome everybody to uh, our advanced Dharma class. It's such a pleasure to have you here. And today I'm going to explore the theme of what is love? Uh, from a Buddha Dharma perspective, or what I would also call, in a term familiar to some of you, an elephant perspective. As I was creating this talk, I was thinking of how can we love like an elephant? So if that's a newer metaphor for you in this context, let me uh, briefly explain it. So in the teachings of working with the mind and the heart and the teachings of One of the things I love about the teachings of Buddha Dharma, and if that term's unfamiliar, the teachings of how to work with the mind from a Buddhist perspective, is this this idea that we're already all that, that everything we need is already awake and wise and available. So we're born, so to speak, perfect. We're born with all the wisdom, boundless compassion, and 
guess what? No suffering uh, would be be the one way to think of that. And a metaphor that's often used and one I uh, very much enjoy using in my personal life and, and professional life and teaching is the idea of the elephant. So the elephant is our inner awake nature. It is boundless love, boundless compassion, uh, boundless wisdom. It's not about me, 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 me. That would be the monkey. The monkey, which is a very useful aspect of being alive. It's also our ego. It's what got all of you here today and got you safely in your car and followed directions and found your way here. We need the ego. We're not about annihilating the ego, but our ego often gets caught up in attachment and confusion which leads to selfishness. That's really important when we look at this theme of love. So the monkey is the part we need to work with and call to its larger self, which is the elephant. You can think of this if you want, like the monkey riding on the elephant's back. And the more we train our mind and heart, the more we let go of our fear um, and our selfishness, which is based in fear, right? If I'm like, oh, there's only one cookie left and Blake's in ahead of me, uh, I might get a bit anxious and a bit selfish and a bit angry and a bit judgmental. And it's based in the fear of not getting enough. In our love relationships with a partner, with a friend, with our family, how often do we feel spikes of suffering because there's a fear of not getting enough? That's the monkey. I mean, I think of the monkey, I, we're probably all f uh, f enjoy pets in this room or, or like animals or have kindness to animals. Think of an actual you know, baby monkey, maybe caught unfairly from the wilderness and brought here to be sold as a pampered pet in a life it doesn't want. And we have the opportunity to, um, to rescue that baby monkey. And what would we want to do? If it was selfish, if it was frightened, if it was trying to bite us, if it was throwing poo at us, if it was screeching, our kindness would say, this poor thing's just afraid, right? It's just afraid. That's why it's trying to bite us or throw poo at us. Yes, this is a metaphor for romantic relationship. Yes, this is a metaphor for family relationship. Yes, this is a metaphor for what we call love, which is too often, no matter how basically kind we are as humans, the monkey gets freaked out and it throws poo at our friend or our partner. It um, yells at our partner. It bites at our partner. What would it be if we could drop into our inner elephant in that moment? What would it be if we could realize there is fear and, 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 and incorrect thoughts happening in Cheryl's head right now? Dropping into elephant, dropping into like the, the endless ocean of wisdom and compassion. The elephant's not selfish. The elephant's not afraid. The elephant is boundless love. The, the most large, nurturing, endless love to Everybody, the term that's used is all beings. So it's not just that we love our best friend and I can't stand the rest of you. That's not love. That's a deluded kind of clinging selfish. I like you. Probably, if we're really honest, everybody, probably because you do nice things for me that I like. It might not be quite that transactional, but think of a friend you love right now or think of your partner if you're partnered. If we're really dead honest, what we call love 
is often partly the way you make me feel when you make me feel good. Therefore, I love you. That may seem a little harsh, and I don't mean to be harsh, but I mean to help us all look more deeply at how we might love and which aspects are wholesome and true love, so to speak. And the kind of true love I'm going to attempt to talk about today is not the, uh, you know, princess meets prince and lives happily ever after nonsense. That's not true love. That's full on clinging. I want me that sexy woman with the, with, with the, the glass slipper, right? I want that. She's beautiful. Object, acquire, feel better. I want the handsome prince to, I don't know what handsome princes do. Feed you a lot of grapes or something. I want that because it makes me feel good. So there's a big introduction <laughs> to why I'm calling this how to love like an elephant. What would it be in this moment if you're annoyed with someone you love? If you're feeling jealous or confused, if you're feeling hurt, these are feelings to which I want us each to bring tenderness. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But what would it be if in that moment we could drop into elephant and say, monkey is freaked out. Monkey is hurt or angry at my husband, my friend, my coworker. Elephant is like, exhale. This too shall pass in the big picture. 20 minutes from now or 20 years from now, this won't feel bad at all. How about we let it be in this instant? How about we let it be in this instant that we let go? So, didn't intend to say any of that, but I did. I guess that was the intro. (laughs) Hopefully from elephant, not monkey. So essentially, I'm going to talk a bit today, and I chose this theme because we're a couple days shy of Valentine's Day. Cultural holiday, whether you think it's silly or not, doesn't really matter, but it's a reminder because it's kind of in our face, right? What is love? And sure, Valentine's Day mainly points to romantic love between two partners. Um, But what if we just talk about love in general between two or more human beings? Hi, Zig. Cat drive by. Um, so I want to talk in part one here about how to love better from our elephant self. Part two is going to be the difference between what we call love, which is more an attached desire love and boundless love. So the first part, how to love better from the elephant. Well, it all starts in your own head. It all starts in our own mind. So, you know, to use a a sort of a a summary statement here, I would say great love is all in your head. Great love is all in your head. In the teachings I do with couples, I call that often the mind of a lover. The mind of a lover. What can I do with my mind with a partner? And you could substitute their friend family. When I am feeling judgmental toward them, when I'm feeling you're not giving me what I want, or you're disappointing me, or, you know, it starts with your or them or he or she or non-gender binary they, it's almost always not a helpful thought, right? Yeah, I guess it can be if it's he is so kind and, and forgiving of me. So let me correct that. But a lot of our he, she, they thoughts are kind of the things that are pissing us off about our partner. You know, she forgot my birthday or, you know, they always put themselves first and make me always scoop the cat boxes or whatever it is. These are thoughts from monkey, monkey feeling like maybe there's not enough 
Maybe I won't be okay. I need more to feel better. And as you know, from the larger teachings of what the Buddha taught, every time we want something else, we're in suffering. So when we want more or different from our bar of chocolate or our friend or our partner, we're in suffering. When are we not suffering? When are we happy? When are we kind? When are we accepting? It's when we let go of wanting things to be different than they are. I use this example a fair bit with couples I work with around. I mentioned it already, but a lot of uh, persons get some hurt and some stories around their partner not um, celebrating an anniversary or a birthday or Christmas or some sort of special occasion. Valentine's Day. Let's just go with that. There's going to be a lot of chagrin on the 15th of February in a few days around you didn't X. You know, he got flowers. You didn't give me anything. Right? What is that? That's monkey fearing we're not loved right. Fearing that there's not enough. And judging and bringing not the mind of a lover, but the mind of a frightened, selfish monkey to the transaction. You might have a beautiful partner who's uh, patient and kind and a terrific co-parent and uh, fills up your gas tank whenever it's close to empty. You haven't touched a, a, a gas pump in years. And yet they suck at roses and chocolates on February 14th. What are you going to choose to focus on? The mind of a lover cho- chooses to focus, of course, on all the ways this person's beautiful. The mind of a monkey of frightenedness focuses perhaps too often on the stuff you don't do right. So the first part, how to be better as loving is to work with your own mind. How do we do that? Well, meditation helps. Whatever we think and ponder, this is from meditation, this is from cognitive psychology, this is from neurology, and it's from your own felt experience. What you spend time thinking about has more power than the things you think less about. So to use this example again, if you focus your mind on all the things your partner or friend does wrong, that's going to have a lot more power in your life than if you're doing the other thing. Monkey thinking, elephant thinking. If you focus your mind on the generous and good and positive things in your friend, you're going to be happier and you're going to be a better partner. It's kind of obvious, but most of us don't live this way, that it's up to us what the content of our mind says. It's a bit radical, actually. But it's up to us whether we're pondering, oh, poor me, life sucks, or whether we're saying, I'm struggling today, but it's a beautiful day and aren't I blessed? That's a choice, everybody, and that's transformatively beautiful because if we have a choice, emphasis, emphasis, if we have a choice to change the story in our head and to love ourself and other from elephant, we will suffer less and love better. So what does that look like? (laughs) Well, the transformative aspect of working with our mind is, first of all, and this is the first part here, Be kinder to your own mind. You know, I gave a little bit of a warrior teaching just now about, you know, you need to think kind things instead of lousy things. But be kind to your mind. This is tough. I fail at it all the time. 
in my romantic relationship, in how I think of myself, coworkers, friends, neighbors, the mind can get into story about they, them, I need, poor me. Of course, it's the conditioned nature of the mind. But we get to be the boss of that, especially when we hear these teachings that say, hey, Cheryl, hey, everybody in this room, hey, everybody everywhere, you get to be the boss of your mind. It's the only thing we have control over. Most of us don't have much control over it. The only thing we have control over is our mind. That may sound weird. We don't have control over our house. We can make our house tidy and then there could be an earthquake and everything could fall down. You don't have control over that. You don't have control over your job. You can do everything well and precisely and then, you know, the economy could crash. You could get fired or uh, you're in an outdated medium um, that, you know, robots take over and I'm not being facetious. We don't have control over our partner. Anybody in this room, put up your hand if you have control over your partner. I didn't ask, are you trying to control your partner? (laughs) Because I would put my hand up for that, unfortunately, some of the time. Thank you, partner, for remaining quiet in the back of the room. But do you have control of any parents in the room? Do you have control over your kids? Yeah, how's that working out? And yet in our romantic relationships, sometimes worse than any of the rest is where we think we have control. The only thing we have control over is what? Our own mind. So first, before I talk about how to love others better, how can you love yourself better? By monitoring with grace, with monitoring with compassion, your own mind. What story is my mind telling me about this selfish, rotten person who forgot Valentine's Day, for example? What story is the mind telling you about I'm not good enough or I'm really scared I can't pay the bills? I'm not saying some of this doesn't have some factual accuracy that in a skillful way we should then figure out ways to skillfully delay the bill payment or get a payment plan. I'm not being silly here where we just say, ah, bills are illusory. Last time I checked, they're not. But when the mind is creating scary story, we're not loving ourselves. And from that part, are you acting well? Are you acting ethically, kindly? When we're in fear, it's like the monkey that we rescued uh, earlier in this class that's terrified and um, frightened and confused, and it will lash out. Your mind will do that to you and to others. There's a samurai poem. Uh, it's simple five or six words. And it says, I make my mind my friend. I make my mind my friend. Well, conceptually, what would be the opposite to that? Your mind being your enemy. Anybody here ever have a mind that's your enemy? If your hand's not up, you're either very deluded or dishonest. Your mind being an enemy, anxiety, depression, fear, confusion, Your mind eating you alive. Anybody here have your mind eat you alive at two in the morning? Sure. Anybody here have your mind eat you alive when you're facing the illness or death of someone you love? Sure. So what is it to make of our mind a friend? Hey, monkey mind. This is scary and it hurts and I'm confused. We're confused. But let's just breathe. Let's just take a moment of mindfulness. Let's take a peace break. Let's breathe in three times. It doesn't change 
the outward events of perhaps a ill or dying friend, economic downturn, a breakup, etc. But it brings us a chance to say, mind, I'm going to make my mind a friend again. Not a tyrannical, terrified monkey that maybe turns into a raging, brutal gorilla, right? We've got a musical interlude. That's fine. Could be one of Richard's, uh, he's out with the dog. <laughs> So the whole purpose of meditation and practice, arguably, bold statement, is to help us make our mind a friend, which then intimately and dramatically influences how we are to others. See if this resonates with you. This is a poem by Hafiz called The Sun Never Says. I'll let it speak for itself. It's terrific. Quote, Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights up the sky. So there it is. Can we aspire by training our mind, by calming our monkey, by loving our monkey to love like an elephant and to love that way? Not you owe me. You owe me a Valentine's date. You owe me to say thank you for that. I'm not talking about the big picture, the small picture with couples, with people. We should be respectful and kind and generous and thank each other and celebrate. I teach all those things. I try to do all those things. But ultimately, let me repeat this beautiful pith teaching. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights up the sky. Mm. I want to love like that. I want to light up the sky. I want to never say, and even more so, I want to train the mind to the part where I never even think you owe me, or you're not this, or I need more, or I deserve more. I'm not there yet. But I do take it as a training, and when I fall down, I begin again. I begin again, often quite poorly, but it's an aspiration. It's an aspiration to continue to improve, to love like an elephant. How we feel is actually up to us. This makes some people quite uncomfortable if they're not used to hearing this style of teaching. How we feel is actually up to us. It's not dependent on how the other person treats us or what they say. Again, that can, that can ruffle some feathers because it certainly doesn't match our regular human experience very well, right? Right now, if you've got someone in your world who's been unkind to you or worse, maybe deliberately took you down, like did a hostile takeover of your business or uh, lied to you, um, betrayed you as being verbally or or in action cruel to you. I'm not negating the pain of that. But the more we work on our mind and heart, we can evolve it to where it does a better job of essentially saying, yes, there is pain, but this activity is not about me. It's about this person's feelings, confusion, projection. And it's up to me how I feel about it. How I feel about this is up to me. 
you've probably all had a, a small or large example of that in your regular life where um, someone you know and maybe even care about deeply lashes out in some way. And in that moment, you were fairly strong. You were fairly balanced. You knew they were struggling and you didn't take it very personally. You went, wow, that's my friend really struggling. And they lashed out. The monkey I just rescued bit my hand and it's bleeding, but I'm not angry at the frightened sweet monkey. I maybe soothe it. I maybe say, I'm sorry you're hurting. How are you? Are you okay? Can I leave you alone a bit? Can I bring you a cup of tea or a monkey banana? That's how to love. Let's aspire to that. How we feel is up to us, not the other person. So where do we start? By suddenly becoming a Buddha of love? I hope so, but I'm, I'm not uh, skillful at that. So I start a bit further down the ladder with working with the mind. Um, can we bring love to our mind? Can we cultivate bringing to everything that comes up in our mind? Worry about tomorrow, um, annoyance at a friend, um, worry about our partner, anger about Valentine's Day being missed, whatever it is. Can we treat that, everything that occurs in our mind, with curiosity? Ah, oh, there's feelings of tightness. There's feelings of constriction in the body. There's, there's a sadness in the mind. There's a feeling of, why didn't my partner or friend do X? And when we bring attention to that, when we shine a loving spotlight on it, we can at our best go more deeply under it. Why is there a constriction in the heart and a sad feeling? Because I wasn't wined and dined on Valentine's Day, let's say. We'll just go with that theme. Well, if you go deeper, you might uncover, well, because it leads to a story that my partner doesn't care enough about me. It leads to a story that they're not romantic. By the way, maybe they're not, depending how you're defining romantic. But maybe, like I said, they always check your gas gauge and take your car to the pump and fill it up so you never have to pump your own gas. That's a story from a couple I worked with. She said he's not romantic. He doesn't care about me. And his way of loving was making sure she'd never touched a gas pump. They had two cars. He always checked her gas gauge, ran into town and filled it up. Very loving, but not what her story and monkey were craving. So when she started to look for what he did right, her heart softened. She began to work with the mind. Why am I upset about Valentine's Day? Because this, because that, because the other. Does he, she, they love me? How do they show this in other ways? And then, you know, I'm a shrink as well. So you can go way back to childhood where maybe your needs in some ways weren't met by busy parents who um, were struggling with what they were struggling with. And maybe a type of a fuss wasn't made of you as a little girl or little boy or a little they that um, helped you feel filled up. And so there's a deeper longing that you're asking your partner to fill. And you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. What can come out of that? making your mind a friend. And maybe, here's a very pragmatic solution to this sketch I've made of saying um, in this sketch, uh, based on a real couple, based on maybe lots of us, they don't celebrate Valentine's Day in a way that I feel loved by, but they do all these other things for me. Maybe it's simply, here's such a practical conclusion that people don't even think of it. Just accept that your partner sucks at Valentine's Day. It's not their strength. Instead of spending another 25 years trying to make them into someone who's great at Valentine's Day, 
let it go. Or be the king, queen, or they of Valentine's and you plan it every year. Plan exactly what you love and invite them along. There's so many different ways to change the story and we're not that good at it because we tend to get stuck in the suffering story and call it love. The stats on romantic relationship are so freaking grim. 8% of people I've surveyed of thousands of couples say that they're really happy in their romantic relationship. 8%. 8%. Um, and, you know, divorce and breakup and affairs and whatnot. And I am perhaps overstating, but I'll put forward I don't believe I am. It pretty much comes down to how we're working with our minds. How we're working with our minds. That's way bigger teachings for another time. But to begin... Work with your own mind. It's the only mind you what? It's the only mind you have any control over. There is hurt. There is sadness. There's a crazy monkey. By the way, out of, you know, being a clear teacher, I hope, let me also state, because some people will listen to this talk who don't have any experience with Dharma yet. I am not saying it's only up to you to just put up with everything that is happening in your relationship or your friendship that is maybe unwholesome, maybe unkind, maybe uh, even verbally abusive. No, 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 no. The second half of this that I'm not going to teach today, it's what I do in my other work a lot, is to work as a team with your partner or friend to improve some of these things to improve the kindness, to improve the thoughtfulness, to do a better job of forgiving and communicating deeply, etc. But ultimately, the mind of a lover, which is a much more sophisticated teaching, is it's ultimately up to me and my mind. So work with your own thoughts, work with your own feelings. It's super, super productive in one very simple way and many others. If I'm mad at a spouse or partner or friend, and I work with my mind and calm the mind and look at the story in meditation go, or go for a walk in the forest and think about it. Do not speak when angry. Do not hit send on the angry venting email. Just go work with it. Then you can choose to speak to the other party from a place of more groundedness, of more big view of more kindness instead of you're the worst ever and you this and you that and you never be. You can say, look, I'm struggling with some stuff, babe. And I've taken a bit of time to try to kind of, you know, find the elephant and not be completely run by monkey gorilla. Um, but can we talk about some stuff I'm struggling with? This is skill. This is actually in a way, not just in a way, bringing Buddha Dharma to regular life. And unless you're going to go live in a cave at top of the mountain in Tibet, until you die, you're going to have to deal with other people. So whether you're a nun, a monk, a layperson, whoever you are, if you want to walk Dharma, if you want to ride elephant, you've got to start using it in regular life with regular stuff. So that's what I'm talking about what I'm talking about. Uh, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. <laughs> Let's aspire to that. And when we blow it, Let's catch it and say, I'm really sorry. I'm being selfish. I'm in monkey. I'm scared. That was unkind. It doesn't actually take much to heal a wound. I've seen wounds that are 20 years old between people that love each other be healed 
with an authentic, simple ownership that I acted badly and I hurt you. I've seen with couples on a couch where an affair, a betrayal, a lie, a spending the family finances gambling that's been festering for years or decades, and I'm being factual here, has more or less dissolved with an authentic ownership and apology. Much great can come out of working with our mind and changing the story. So to summarize a couple of those key points, the only thing we have control over is our mind, not other people. And that means we get to work with our mind's reaction to other people. And if we choose to meditate or have a silence practice or walk in nature, or in the case of those in the room, to practice Buddha Dharma and meditation and go on retreats, it can help cultivate a much better ability to discern, am I in monkey mind or or am I loving like an elephant? It can decrease our reactivity, which I just kind of spoke through. If we're feeling, ah, you're a terrible partner, and we go calm or go for a run or go into forest, like I said, and we kind of not conquer, but massage the story, bring it back, we can then respond in a skillful way instead of knee-jerk react, yell, scream, complain, etc. It's effectively a timeout technique that a lot of skillful adults and parents uh, utilize with, with a child is you know, I love you, honey, but right now we're going to have quiet time for 10 minutes because the child's flooded with emotion. We're just big children, particularly in romantic relationship. We get triggered. We're flooded. Take a time out so you can say, I need to have a discussion about this disconnect we just had. I'm really upset about it. And you might be too. Can we sit, hold hands and talk about it fairly? But that is very hard to do for raging monkey. You've got to go love your monkey, touch your elephant, and be able to love from a place of response, not reactivity. Is this making sense? Making sense? Great. What if we treat everything that happens inside of us, moment by moment, as an old friend? It makes me think of um, Simon and Garfunkel. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Come to sit with me again. Like, we can do that with our mind, right? Selfish Cheryl or frightened Cheryl or angry Cheryl. Oh, hello. Hello, angry Cheryl, my old friend. Treat it as a friend. It's just a monkey that needs love. From there, we can calm it, love it, and as I'm saying, then move into response and kindness instead of reactivity. Thich Nhat Hanh uh, talks about how critical it is to take care of our anger. And he talks about it in a lot of really beautiful ways. And making this, he says, hold your anger with open arms. Shine compassion on it. And when we pull out our anger at its roots, then we can feel the compassion arise. He talks a lot about having a kind attitude toward our own difficulties. Just different ways of saying the same thing. When we're less reactive, when we calm our mind, when we cultivate the mind of a lover, there's more space, right? We all know this. We all know this. When we don't hit send on the angry email and we maybe take an hour or a day, there's more space to probably reword the email a lot 
or better yet, pick up the phone or better yet, speak in person. Uh, the more direct contact, the less opportunity for um, confusion and misinterpretation. The best way to resolve any difficulty is face-to-face. Second best on the phone or video call. Worst is in writing. A lot of research to support that, plus our own experience. So to pull this first part together a little bit, I hope. There's the monkey mind, the fear mind, the ego mind. Monkey can also be very skillful and helpful when it's common, not throwing poop, (laughs) when it's responding and not reacting. Because ego monkey can also say, meditation helps. I'm going to do more of that. Or my friend lashed out. They must really be hurting. I'm going to go give them a hug or uh, drop by some tulips and say, whatever's going on, I love you. Whatever's going on will always be okay. How can we be that kind? Well, get out of our way. And love like an elephant. So for this first part, it's really about growing up and realizing to love well is our job. To work with our mind is our job. To open our heart and love like an elephant, as I'm using the phrase today, is our job. It's not anybody else's. So when you meet Prince or Princess Charming or non-gender binary Charming or whomever we fall in love with, fall is a bit dramatic, isn't it? Do you have any control when you fall? No. Can you smash at the bottom and die? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe let's not fall into love quite as mindlessly or when it's happening say this is beautiful and can I keep myself grounded can I watch the mind stories this is it I'm going to be happy forever I found the one as a couples therapist and dharma teacher I really dislike those two words put together in that context it's almost as bad as the worst word ever which is soulmate (laughs) because they're both about You are now going to make me happy forever, which is A, absolutely impossible, as all of us know, because we've lived it and are living it, and B, the antithesis of this teaching. This teaching is the only thing that can make us happy is cultivating happiness from the inside out. Happiness is an inside job. It's working with our mind and heart. No one can take that away. It can certainly be temporarily bruised or battered. But then when we regroup, we do what? We make of our mind a friend. We get to work with that emotion. And then the heart can open more and we can show up more loving for ourselves and for others. So there's a quote from um, W.H. Auden, the writer, which I think is another very pithy, beautiful Dharma teaching in two lines of how to really be a great friend, a great partner, and a great human. And the quote is, love your crooked neighbor with all your crooked heart. Love your crooked neighbor with all your crooked heart. And each of you should interpret that as it lands for you. For me, I relate it to a phrase I use a fair bit that was taught to me by an old dear friend of mine, um, former partner, And we'd had some sort of disagreement and I was, I believe it was about 20 years ago, but I believe I was beating myself up around, you know, I know better than this. I've got the knowledge and I'm being, you know, unkind to you or crappy or a lousy partner. And he said, you know, Cheryl, we're all just bozos on this bus trying to get there the best way we can. And he said it really compassionately, 
Right. And to me, he was saying, love your crooked neighbor with all your crooked heart. None of us, at least probably in this room right now, are fully awake Buddhas. So that's our crooked heart, right? It's a great heart, but it's got some, you know, <laughs> layers on it and monkey fears and conditioning and childhood trauma and stuff. So how can we love Cheryl, Buddha, Dharma teacher, Dalai Lama? How can we love if we're still imperfect? Just love your crooked neighbor who's also imperfect with all your crooked heart because we're all just bozos on this bus trying to get there the best way we can. The way I often say this to the couples I work with is um, love the perfectly imperfect person standing right in front of you. That would be your perfectly imperfect partner. I have a perfectly imperfect husband sitting in the back of the room right now. He's the best imperfect husband I could ever have. And I hope I earn sometimes the grace to be loved back in a similar way. That's my perfectly imperfect person over there. Goodness knows she could be hard on the head, and I love her anyway. So that's the first part I wanted to talk about. I hope I have. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sex, Love, and Elephants. But most of all, thank you for being part of this herd. If you enjoyed listening, please share this with a friend. And if you haven't already, I would love, love, love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player because it really helps all the other elephants find us. If you have any questions or comments or maybe an idea for the show or you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me directly at drcherylfraser.com where you can also sign up for weekly Love Bites, science-based tips for creating love and passion that last a lifetime. Lifetime.